Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Our guests today are Bible teacher and speaker Lisa Harper and the members of popular contemporary Christian singing group Point of Grace. First up, we speak with Lisa Harper. Lisa has written 12 books, including her latest, which she discusses with us today called The Sacrament of Happy, What a Smiling God Brings to a Wounded World. Lisa shares some of her early journey to becoming a Bible teacher and is candid about being a survivor of sexual abuse. Dealing with the shame and feeling that she was damaged goods because of this early trauma, Lisa recounts how over time she was able to embrace the scripture that says, Therefore, there is no condemnation or shame for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. My name is Lisa Harper. I'm a Bible teacher and author, not a very good one, very mediocre author, but my mom keeps all of them in her basement and a bit of a windbag storyteller. I love words, used too many, and I am a mom, an adoptive mom to the most amazing kid in the universe, except for yours, of course. I grew up in Central Florida, um, had a, a good family life, although my parents divorced, and that just kind of cast a pall over everything. I love, dad left us for another woman and her child, and that kind of marked me, and I thought it must be at least partly my fault. And so that sense of having an orphan spirit kind of took hold when I was a little girl. Mom remarried two years later to my stepfather, John. Um, but there was definitely that shadow of feeling fatherless when I was younger. I grew up in church. I always say I started, I became a church member in utero because I don't remember a time when I wasn't in church. Went to a, a wonderful conservative church when I was five years old, right after dad left. I walked an aisle because the pastor was preaching on how God is a dad who doesn't leave his children. And, and I remember, you know, I was holding on to the back of the pew, it was the end of the service. They sang Just As I Am, you know, 500 times. And on the 499th time, felt like that anyway, I walked up the aisle and I told Brother Jimmy that I wanted to give my heart to Jesus. I, of course, didn't understand the theological ramifications, but I just knew I wanted a daddy who wouldn't walk away. And so that began my faith relationship with Jesus. But of course, as a walk of faith, I have stumbled a lot along the way. I've had, had some prodigal seasons, but the church has always been a real cornerstone in my life. I love to study. Not that we can ever fully comprehend the mind of God. You know, you filter the mind of God through the mind and the mouth of men and women, it's gonna be distorted at some level. But I thought I will do have due diligence when it comes to studying the scriptures. I could tell you exactly when I decided to go to seminary. I had the privilege of speaking at a, a national women's event. I was on staff with Focus on the Family. And there were almost 20,000 women at this event. It was in Nashville, Tennessee. I wasn't living here then. I was living in, in Colorado Springs on staff with Focus. But I was on stage, 19,800 some odd women. And I was in the middle of the stage, it was in the round, and I don't remember what I said. I said something that caused the women to laugh. And I thought, you know, all these women, almost 20,000 women are listening to me. And I don't know if what I just said was heretical or not, because I don't have a seminary background. I don't have the scaffolding that I think I should have to hold a microphone in front of this many people. I realized really the gravitas of that position as a Bible teacher. And, uh, and I decided then, Lord, if you will give me the opportunity, I will go to seminary and I will just study my fanny off. I love all the dead guys. I've got platonic crushes on Schaefer and C.S. Lewis and a lot of others, but one of my favorite living theologians is a guy named Dr. Ed T. Welch, and he wrote a book called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. And in that book, he said all addictions 
are ultimately a disorder of worship. In other words, if you do not put Jesus in the biggest hole in your soul, you'll run to the wrong things, whether it be meth or carbohydrates. And based on that rationale, those parameters, I consider myself a recovering addict. I don't say that lightly because I have not been through the kind of suffering that some of my friends have. I've never been incarcerated. I didn't lose my teeth to meth, never lost a loved one or my, my kids because of my addiction. But I ran to abusive men and to carbohydrates for years to fill up that deep hole in my soul. I knew Jesus. I loved Jesus. But I didn't think he liked me very much. There was some sexual abuse in my background, some, um, some things that just really scarred me when I was younger. When I was a little girl, soon after my dad left, some men came and went from our family, presumably to help kind of uncles, if you will, because my mom is this divorcee and my daddy had, had been less than kind um, as he left my mom. And a couple of men who came and went from our family sexually molested my sister and myself. And that just, um, you know, I already felt like I wasn't good enough. I thought if I was a really good little girl, Dad wouldn't have left. But then for men who were pretending to be helpful to sexually molest me, that just underscored that feeling of being less than on my heart and soul. And then I think if you aren't really careful, I, d I didn't tell Mom about it, didn't tell anybody about it, because I thought my mom's already been through enough pain, so I don't want to add something else to her plate. So I just kept it silent, and I really thought it had to be partly my fault. Um, when you keep secrets, secrets cause us to be sick, and then that's, a, that's just a perfect environment for shame to grow. And so by the time I was in high school and college, I didn't look like a girl who was molded by shame. I was very outgoing, I was an extrovert, I was in a lot of leadership positions, but inside I always felt a little bit dirty. And so I was very drawn to abusive men. Um, one of the main reasons I've been candid about my sexual abuse and molestation in my past is because I meet so many women in what I get to do who've been abused and they think they're the only ones. Or they think, if anybody knew this happened to me, I'd be ruined for the rest of my life. And so I do think there's some freedom that comes with pulling what the enemy allowed to happen in the dark. You pull that in the light and it loses its power. Um, I didn't know that for so many decades. It's like a handprint is made in wet cement. And the handprint that was made in my little girl heart was, you deserve to be abused. You don't deserve to be valued. And then that also kind of sets the course, at least in my life, for the men I was attracted to. I was very attracted to abusive men. And I always tease and say God protected me from the men I was attracted to, but he also protected the men, the good godly men I dated from me because I was such a hot mess relationally. And so I could teach about forgiveness and our sins or the sins that it committed against us being wiped away all day long, but I, I could not hang on to the truth from Romans that there is now therefore no condemnation or shame for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It wasn't until I got some really good Christian counseling in my 30s and 40s that kind of that final shroud of shame was lifted. And again, one of the reasons I'm so forthright about this is I see way too many women who you can just tell they're bound by that shame. I don't want my daughter to ever experience the same things I've experienced. So my kid, she's only eight years old. You know, shame was really one of the reasons I didn't become a mama. Um, I've wanted to be a mama for as long as I can remember. I remember even in high school seeing an older friend and just become a mom and she got one of those handprints from the hospital where they put you know, your infant's hand and, and 
plaster of Paris. And I saw that infinite handprint and I thought, oh, God, if I ever have one of those, like I'll hang it on my wall in this place of honor. I just always wanted to be a mom. But I think because I was so broken relationally, I was really drawn to abusive men. And I wouldn't go so far as, as getting married. I would back up for that because I just knew I couldn't stay with an abusive man. But I really squandered my 20s and 30s in some really, really broken relationships. And so by the time you get to be 40, you realize, you know, I'm probably not going to be a biological mama. And I really thought that was my fault. I've never in a million years thought our God was capricious. Um, but I do think there are consequences to sin. And my relational sin, I thought I've just sabotaged the shot at becoming a mama or marriage. And then I began praying about adoption. And I thought, oh goodness, I probably shouldn't adopt either because I'm single. But it's like God just kept bringing it up over and over and over again. I almost started the process when I was 40, but a woman at church um, actually pulled me aside and privately told me that I should not adopt. She said, you shared with us that you were sexually abused when you were younger. And she said, Lisa, I know you've been to counseling, but just in case you weren't fixed, you might unwittingly transfer some of the trauma you experienced on a child of your own. So she said, you should go to the National Humane Society and adopt a dog because you're really good with pets. And that resonated with me. Um, she didn't mean it to be unkind. She thought she was giving me good advice. But again, it was just one more layer of you're not good enough. And I received it. So it wasn't until seven years later I was actually brave enough to dip my toe in the adoption pond. And I told the adoption agency, I said, don't give me a kid who has a shot at a mom and a dad. Um, because I said, I don't know if I'll ever marry. I don't know if that's what God has for me. But if there's a kid who doesn't have much of a shot at a mama and a daddy, um, I'd love to be considered in that case. And uh, the first little mama I walked with for seven months was a hardcore crack addict and a prostitute. And um, that one is still a heartbreak because I lost that baby just five days before she was born. And the little mama did not go to rehab. It was a, it was a heartbreaking experience for everyone involved. And two weeks after I lost that first adoption, I got a phone call from an old friend. And she said, Lisa, I just got home from Haiti. And she said, while I was there, one of the young moms in the village died of AIDS. And she said she has a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl that she left behind who has HIV and cholera and probably tuberculosis. And the doctors in Port-au-Prince have said she'll die in the next couple of months if somebody, really anybody, from a first world country doesn't stand in the gap for her. And she said, I immediately thought of you. And she said, would you pray about this? And I said, nope. I said, I've been praying about this for 30 years. Sign me up. And I got off the phone and was like, what have I just done? I'm just committed to adopt um, a little kid everybody thinks is dying in Haiti. Six weeks later, I was on a plane and they put her in my arms. And um, it was just amazing. After a few minutes, she didn't like me at first, but she reached up, she grabbed my pinky finger. And she said kind of angrily, hello, mama Blanc. That means hello, white mama. And I was like, stick a fork at me. I am done. And it uh, took two years to bring Missy home. Brought her home April 14th, 2014. She's now eight years old, healthy as a horse, joyful. Her HIV is undetectable. She is just the embodiment of redemption. You know, I love a verse in Lamentations that says, Our God restores the years the locusts have devoured. And I feel like I kind of served up years of my life to the enemy because of shame and 
lot of other sinful things. And I feel like God has just restored more than I dreamed or hoped through this little girl. She's healthy. She was supposed to die. She loves Jesus. She calls me mama. I never get tired of her calling me mama. And so I'm really undone. I make a lot of mistakes as a single mom. But the one thing I do well is I'm grateful. I wake up grateful every morning for what God has redeemed in our story. Lisa has found joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Her latest book, The Sacrament of Happy, shares stories from her life and looks at the scriptural basis of why she believes Christians are called to be happy. She also talks about what Jesus' calling has brought to her life and her relationship with author Sarah Young. Finally, she shares about a new project for kids, a book she wrote for and with her daughter, that is coming out in October 2018. I am a rabid fan of Jesus' calling, but even more so Sarah Young. Sarah and I were in a Bible study together years ago at a church here in Nashville, and I didn't know she was Sarah Young. I just knew her as Sarah. From Bible study, she's so kind, so humble, and we would talk after Bible study all the time. It wasn't until about a year after we'd been Bible study together that someone from the group said something like, have you read Sarah's stuff? And I was like, Sarah who? And she was like, Sarah Young. I was like, oh, I love Jesus calling. She was like, well, that's Sarah. I was like, our Sarah? Sarah Young, I was like, oh, you are kidding me. Um, and of course, Sarah would have never let it be known. I don't think she, she thought about it, but that made me fall more in love with Sarah because of her humil- humility, not just her gift as an author. Well, after talking about Jesus Calling, I feel just a little silly to talk about my book because that's like creme brulee and pudding or Kentucky Derby and a donkey um, because I, I'm nowhere near her level as a writer. But I, I decided to study the concept of happy in Scripture and see if it was actually there because I'd kind of been accused all my life of being too happy to be a Christian. You know, that I think a lot of people consider Christians to be a, a sober lot. And I even heard when I was younger that joy was based on the acronym Jesus Others Yourself. But happy was based on happenstance, so happy was not good. And I thought, you know, is that really a biblical truism? So I thought, I just want to spend some time seeing if happy is even in the Bible. And I was shocked to find out it's all throughout Scripture. God actually describes himself as happy. It's not happy the way we talk about it in modern culture. It's not ha-ha, superficial happy. Um, The biblical definition in Hebrew and Greek, Greek is the deep contentment, fulfillment, and delight that comes from a relationship with God. And it's Asher in Hebrew, and it's um, Makairos in Greek. So the Psalter, the beginning of the Psalms, actually starts with the word happy. We usually, you know, we usually translate it as blessed, but the accurate translation is also happy. And then in Jesus' very first public sermon, there on the mount, going to Israel next year, so I can't wait to be back. I've been there twice. But when he stood on that hill and gave that sermon, the very first word of his very first public sermon was Machairos, happy is the man who walks with God. You just go, oh my goodness, this is not a superficial second cousin to joy. It is a biblical truism. And the reason I said it was a sacrament, because a sacrament is an inward grace that has an outward expression. And so you go, boy, if anything ever fit the definition of sacrament, it would be happiness. It's that contentment and that delight that comes from intimacy with Jesus. And so happiness is not the absence of sadness. A lot of people think I can't be both happy and sad, and that also is not good theology. Throughout scripture, 
you will see happiness, contentment, fulfillment coincide with deep grief. So interestingly enough, it was while I was studying happiness in the Bible that I began studying the life of Job. And so I started studying them at the same time because you don't think of Job as being happy. But there's this unlikely joy that permeates Job, and it's because of the presence of God, even in the most difficult circumstances. I mean, Job 19 is like the Prozac chapter of the Bible. You know, my daddy would have said he would have to reach up to touch a worm's belly. He's lost everything, and yet he says, I know my Redeemer lives. There's this unlikely joy I'm really tickled about this. Um, my publisher said, we think you should write a children's book. And they said, is there any subject you'd like to write about? And I said, you know what, there's actually one subject. And they said, what is it? And I said, well, I'd like to write a book called Who's Your Daddy? You know, the whole room was kind of shocked to see this you know, wonderful, godly publisher. And they were like, who's your daddy? How could that be a Christian children's book? And I said, when Missy went to kindergarten, one of the boys in her class asked Missy, who's your daddy? It was parents' day at school or grandparents' day, I can't remember. But of course, she didn't have a daddy who showed up. And so when she got in the car that afternoon for carpool, I could just tell she seemed a little off. And I said, baby, did something happen in school today? And she said, yes, ma'am, George asked me where my daddy was. And I said, he did. I said, well, what'd you say? And she said, I don't have a daddy. And I said, because it just threw me, it was like a knife to the heart. And then I, I thought and thought and thought. And I said, baby, you know, you, you actually do have a daddy. I said, you don't have a skin daddy. You don't have a daddy with skin on, but you have daddy God and he's the perfect daddy. And that started this, the sweetest little season at our house of us talking about the difference between a skin daddy, who's a wonderful gift if God gives you that, but sometimes they leave, my skin daddy left. Sometimes something happens where they aren't as good a daddy as you deserve. So we talked about skin daddies and daddy God and how it's awesome if you have both. But if you don't have a skin daddy and you have daddy God, you have everything you need. So because the question was, who's your daddy? That's what the book is based on. And Missy actually helped me write the book. And the illustrator is amazing. And she's based all the illustrations of the girl in the book on Missy. And of course, I'm you know, pathologically biased, but I think my kid is just gorgeous so she's got the brown braids and and it it is really a redemptive book to find out more about lisa harper her latest book the sacrament of happy and her upcoming children's book please visit lisaharper.net we'll continue with our next guests after this brief message about a free offer from jesus calling want a daily reminder that we can have hope peace and joy each day in jesus now it's as easy as opening an email. The Jesus Calling Daily Email brings you a thought from the Jesus Calling family of devotionals every day. Brighten up your inbox with this little reminder and take a minute to connect with God during your day. To sign up to get your free daily thought from Jesus Calling, please visit jesuscalling.com slash daily dash email. That's jesuscalling.com slash daily dash email. Our next guests are members of the top contemporary Christian singing group, Point of Grace. Shelley Breen, Lee Capolino, and Denise Jones have been singing together for over two decades. With over eight million recordings sold, three Grammy nominations, and multiple Dove Awards, they continue to share their musical gifts for the glory of God. 
They join us today to share about recording their very first hymns record entitled Beautiful Name, Hymns and Worship Songs, and why the hymns of the church are so special to them all. My name is Shelly Breen, and I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, and I am a wife to my husband, David, and he, he and I have been married for, oh, it's over 20 years now. We're getting, getting close to that quarter of a century mark. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds really old. And we have one uh, little girl named Caroline, and she is 15 years old. And um, yeah, I've been singing with Point of Grace for longer than I've been married or had Caroline. <laughs> so. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lee Capolino, originally from a little Mayberry town in South Carolina called Belton. And that's where my uh, family still lives. However, me and my husband of 26 years have lived in Nashville, and we have a 15-year-old daughter, and a surprise, a bonus, <laughs> as as I'm yeah, now I'm right. now saying, a bonus tw- uh, <laughs> on our 20th anniversary, and his and he's five. So we have a uh, a daughter and a and a little boy, done, and um, yeah. So just love living in Nashville and love being um, a part of these Hi, I'm Denise Jones from Point of Grace, and uh, I am the wife of my husband, Stu. He's he's been the Point of Grace um, husband the longest. We married about the same time Point of Grace moved to town, and um, we have two boys, a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. So I've got one off in college, and one's getting closer every day, um, and just Love being a mom, love living here in Nashville. Um, I'm the boy mom of the group for sure, and, um, and we're Boomer Sooner fans. <laughs> We've been Point of Grace for about 25 years now, and it's really special to have gone through so many changes of life together. When we first started singing, nobody was married or had kids or anything like that. We were just kind of college students who were footloose and fancy free and traveling around in a van with a trailer and singing in churches and camps and stuff. And so um, as the group evolved, so did our lives. And, and it's been just a blessing to us that we love to do this so much and that God would allow us to, you know, get married and have children and go through all of these seasons of life. And yet we still get to go out and sing and make records and make music together um, all these years later. So we, we feel really blessed. My memory of hymns is, you know, I grew up in a church where my grandparents went to that church, my parents were there, aunts and uncles. And so, you know, my memory is in a pew with family members around me and church, you know, Sunday school teachers and stuff opening that hymn book and singing those hymns. And, um, you know, it it's always been a sweet spot for me, just a a real sweet spot. Now, I'm not saying sometimes I were like, you know, didn't understand the, the truly the theology that I was reading, you know, but to have the congregation around me singing all in Mm -hmm. parts and harmonies and all that, I just love it. And so it's just always been a really sweet spot for me. I kind of have had a different upbringing, right. church upbringing than the girls did. Um, and I, I grew up Lutheran and they grew up Baptist. And so some of the hymns, some of our hymns were the same in our mm-hmm. hymn books and some were a little bit different. But honestly, one of my favorite ones, and when Denise brought it up for us to record, is Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Um, we used to sing that 
you know, on Easter Sunday and throughout the year. And I always just loved the melody of that song. You don't really understand the depth of the lyric when you're young. What a Friend We Have in Jesus was my favorite hymn as a little girl because I don't know, I can just remember singing that hymn and, you know, my aunt would, we would share the hymn book together and, you know, she would do a part and I would do a part and we could never do the same part and we'd look <laughs> at each other. And, and I just remember that song being just more of that jolly song where as uh, it's not bringing in the sheeps, it's bringing in the sheaves. <laughs> that was, you know, I didn't really know what a sheave was mm -hmm. and honestly, I'm not real sure if I know what a sheave is now. But Today, um, uh, today, my favorite hymn is How Deep the Father's Love. And mm -hmm. it, it, is, it personifies um, just the recognizing God's redemption in my life. And, and he went to great lengths. Probably my all-time favorite would be Because He Lives. And just, you know, I don't know. I can just remember singing it and singing it as loud as we could. And, <laughs> um, and so it's probably one of my favorites. I think our minds are immediately engaged because of the lyric, you know. Scripture tells us that community is a good thing and to be yeah. with other believers and to worship God together in spirit. And um, and so I think that that's an important part of any believer's routine that, you know, that, that you would do that. And I think it it's just it's beneficial to us to recite these things together because, I mean, sometimes if you watch the news and I'm just at home by myself in the daytime or whatever, you can start to feel really alone and like you're the weird one sometimes, right. almost, you know, just believing what we believe and um, that you're really the minority almost to, to have a strong Christian worldview. And so just to be with other believers and be reminded that you're not the only one, I mean, that it's good for your, for your faith, I think. I used to journal a lot, and then when I had my first kid, I began to give excuses why I shouldn't journal anymore. Um, I was tired, couldn't hold the pen. <laughs> and, but she encouraged me, as you read your Jesus Calling, write something that happened that day that either, you know, that you don't want to forget or maybe just a prayer. And so I started writing, and that was part of my journal with my Jesus Calling. I remember growing up, my mother had a small little, she, she used the home life and she would mm -hmm. go on that daily devotion. And I remember every day it was flipped to whatever the date was. And I remember vividly thinking to myself, she took a little bit of time to do what God can do with a lot of message. And so that's what I love about Jesus Calling. It's that little bit of time that can do a lot for that day. And so I love it. My mom, for Christmas two years ago, in my stocking, put the calendar, and it's the same as the book, but it's just a, you flip over the page, and it, and it just sits right on my desk. And I've honestly enjoyed that so much. It's a great reminder to grab and read while you're sitting there in the morning, you know, looking over your daily, what you've got to do for that day or whatever. It's just right there. And so I, I've actually really enjoyed that. It is a great thing, just um, when you are a little bit more in a hurry, but it's always been one of those things that even when I've had trouble, like, you know, sit down to do a Bible, you know, sit and, and read my Bible or spend some time in prayer, and sometimes your mind is just so jumbled that it's a great starting place for me just to kind of, yeah. okay, let me sit and just kind of begin that process. But we actually used it before I, now my kids drive and everything, but before when I was driving them to school, we had the kids Jesus Calling, and you know, that was, one way that we could, you know, read on the way to school and, and 
and go over those things. And so it's, it is a great just tool to have. Shelley reads a favorite passage from Jesus Calling from March 14th, and the girls share why this passage is so meaningful to them. I rejoice over you with singing. Open wide your heart, mind, and spirit to receive my richest blessings. Because you are my blood-bought child, my love for you flows continuously from the throne of grace. Look up and receive all that I have for you. Listen and hear me singing songs of joy because of my great delight in you. You can approach me boldly with confidence, trusting that you are indeed the one I love. I've told people that in my journey with the Lord, um, His tone of voice has changed for me. And being reminded of that's really the tone of voice that mm. His whole heart comes from. Even when he's, he's letting me know I'm not doing things the right way, that's the tone of voice that He wants me to hear it through. Oftentimes we hear, uh, what a song did for somebody. And to know that's a reminder that he's always singing over us. And if it can, if one of our songs can bring such comfort to somebody out there, knowing he's singing, even more comfort. To learn more about the new Hymns and Worship Songs record from Point of Grace, entitled Beautiful Name, please visit pointofgrace.com. Next time we speak with former NFL quarterback and Super Bowl champion, Jeff Hosteller. Jeff shares about his faith and how his mother was a great influence in his life. My mom was constantly praying for me and constantly um, sending me little quotes and sending me verses and, and encouraging me and telling me God's, God's going to reveal it to you. Um, just stay focused, um, stay diligent. That's a woman of prayer uh, uh, that believed the power of prayer. Um, she's with the Lord now, but I know uh, at that time um, God honored her prayer and uh, she was an integral part of who I am. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at itunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.